the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Happy April 29th to you. Hmm. It's okay to know poor people. Just don't put pictures of yourself with poor people on your Instagram. How crazy was that day yesterday? for the owner of the L.A. Clippers. Um, It's wild. It's wild to see everyone react to something he did. To me, that's just like, again, it shows you the power of watch what you do with the Facebook, watch what you do with social media, um, watch what you do in private conversations, which can be electronically taped by ex-girlfriends. Holy mackerel. Uh, What a whirlwind that was yesterday. And I sense it's not going to be dying down at least for another day or two, according to America's short-term memory. Interesting, though, right? Um, I know we all find what he said vile, horrible, wrong. To me, I find the backlash, for the media backlash, and again... We're talking about not exactly hard-hitting journalist standards on ESPN, um, but everyone's talking about it, right? SP 500's up eight today. The Dow's up 87. The Nasdaq up 14. Buckaroos. Mega deals um, have driven takeover activity past one trillion mark for 2014. Um, interesting, right? What drives Wall Street? Sometimes it's upbeat earnings. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, speculation on, oh, boy, I bet that IPO is going to be hot and sexy. And sometimes what drives Wall Street is, you know, something a little bit more different. It's companies looking at each other and saying, look, I think I could save a lot of money if I merged these two business together. I can cut down a lot of redundancies. I can have one less competitor. I can, you know, focus on what we do well. Some mega deals right now. Not mega shark, but mega deals. The values of takeovers this year have hit 
the one trillion mark. Fastest pace in seven years. Mergers and acquisitions can drive a market higher. Elsewhere out there, um, it's probably worth saying that, you know, Monday, yesterday, was one of those days where the stock market's behavior kind of twisted in the wind. Um, It was all over the place. Bank of America had an accounting disappointment. And I, I, I see both sides of this story. I'm okay with an accounting disappointment um, where they're going to have to cut back on their dividend and stock buybacks, but they'll probably figure it out in the next 30 days. I'm okay with old guard stocks kind of having problems here and there and us taking advantage of them. With that said, banking should be banking, and banking should be pretty much so black and white. Unless you're Donald Sterling of the L.A. Clippers then it shall only be white. But banking, when you have a Bank of America acquire Merrill Lynch, and they're having problems valuing assets, uh, that's not good. Banks, if they're one thing, they're really good at calculating risk, or you want them to be really good at calculating risk. You want your neighbor who's got bad credit to get a 7% mortgage, and you have great credit to get a 4% mortgage. It's not the craziest concept. So, anyway, um, that was a, kind of a big move. Now, we got better than expected earnings from Merck, Sprint, and Cummins Engine today. It's leading a little support to the market. Um, Russian troops are massing near the Ukrainian border. They've now returned to their base again. But will they mass there again tomorrow? This whole Russian thing. Uh, Billy Joel and playing Glasnost and playing in Russia. I long for those days where Russia was was simpler. Was I love America? I love blue jeans. And now we've got that step backwards with Putin. Today's economic calendar features the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. So this is kind of a market that it's going nowhere fast, and that's okay. Uh, Merck, a pharmaceutical giant, had a big fat profit of 88 cents a share, 9 cents above expectations. Revenue was a little short. They said their bottom line was helped by strategic initiatives to help cut costs. Archer Daniels Midland, a big commodities processor, they fell shy of expectations. Uh, weak results in their agricultural business due to low margins and bad weather. Coach, luxury purse maker, or luxury bag maker, maybe is another way of putting that. They saw weakness in their women's bags and accessories business, but did note strength in their men's products as well as footwear. Coach is an interesting beast. They're considered luxury, and luxury is considered to be kind of like recession-proof. And if you look at the stock, it's had two massive runs from 2000 to 2007. And then again from 2009 to 2012. And now it kind of seems to be stuck in the some quarters good, some quarters bad kind of mode. Eventually, Coach will be put up for sale, is my assumption. Because it's too lumpy. Too lumpy. You may like your gravy lumpy. 
but you don't like your earnings, Lumpy. Other big stories of note out there today. As far as earnings go, um, it's earnings season, right? So we continue to focus in on that concept. Uh, we've seen the high-flying stocks kind of take a beating recently. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, good quarter. Profit of buck forty-nine a share. Expectations were for buck thirty-four, so they beat by fifteen cents. Strong same-store sales growth and lower chicken wing prices. And they've got some sort of pizza initiative going on that I don't know <clears throat> enough about, but I'll say that they've got some sort of pizza initiative. Buffalo Wild Wings is one of those restaurant stories, in my opinion, pretty similar to like a cheesecake factory. You know, slightly different concept. Cheesecake factory, more family oriented. Buffalo Wild Wings, more sports oriented. But massive rollout of stores. Um, focus on chicken, which is cheaper than red meat. It'll be interesting to see if they suffer from what Cheesecake suffers from. Is the, You know, you get three years of great growth and then things start to slow down. And then, you know, all the prime locations for restaurants have been gobbled up. Gobble, 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 gobble. I know you're saying that was an amazing sound effect. That actually sounded like a turkey was in your studio. I know, right? I spare no expense with my impressions. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Twitter page is Rob Black Show. YouTube page, Rob Black Show. Find me on Facebook, Cron4, Rob Black. Fundamentals, earnings. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. Trying to get you and your money to retirement. I don't have your money. You have your money. I have your best interest in mind and trying to focus you in on getting to retirement. The world is fascinated with this uh, judgment day on the NBA. Will the NBA do the right thing? Or will they engage in what Mark Cuban refers to as a slippery slope? Uh, This is probably the most important day in the history of the NBA. In large part, the owner of the L.A. Clippers makes some racist comments. Um, Outrage from players, outrage from sponsors. Um, Everyone's speaking out. Everyone. It's remarkable that... You know, we live in a world of buffoons, but we do. Um, There was a fantastic thing that happened in the English Soccer League this weekend. Was it the English Soccer League? I think it was the Spanish Soccer League. That a racist fan throws a banana at a player, bends down, picks up a banana, eats it, kicks. And then the soccer community around the world all started taking pictures of themselves eating bananas. We're all all baboons, is the message. Um, big day for the NBA. S&P 500 up 5, the Dow's up 57, the Nasdaq up 6. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. How are you today, Mr. Burton? Doing well. Doing well. One of the areas that we don't really talk too much about is charity. And there's a word out there, charitable remainder trust. We know a trust. We know Paris Hilton. Granddaddy did the Hilton Hotel. She's a trust baby. How do charitable trusts work together? Yeah, it's a little bit different than creating a trust, baby, because what I find that a lot of people that are wealthy really start to look 
for ways to be philanthropic. And I think one of the best estate tax planning tools, and, and you really have to look at the estate tax as almost like a voluntary tax. There's so many things that you can do while you're alive in terms of gifting, in terms of setting up your estate the right way to, to avoid paying too much in estate taxes. And my favorite type of strategy for people that really come to me and they say, here's my financial plan, and I'm also looking for ways to benefit my charity and protect my children. And I think one of the best tools out there is a charitable remainder trust. Okay. So picture this. Let's say you have a couple. They're in their 60s. They've got a combined estate with their Bay Area home and some stock options that they that they have that have real low stock basis, cost basis of about $12 bucks. So, and let's say they're looking at this, you know, a million dollars in this stock that they might have purchased a long, long time ago with a basis of, you know, a couple hundred thousand. Right. So, the the stock doesn't pay any dividends. It's a typical tech type of a company. And they really want to diversify. They Mm -hmm. really want to, you know, get into an area where they can take some income, at least get some dividends off of it. Now, they could sell the stock, right? They could sell the million dollars and pay all of the state capital gains tax, the federal capital gains tax, and have you know less than eight hundred thousand dollars left over after taxes to get into something that they could pull five percent from. Okay. So, you know, really, what would happen is they'd only end up between seven hundred fifty to eight hundred thousand dollars left over to really invest. Now, if they had five percent income from that, they'd only have thirty-seven thousand five hundred each year, right? If you want to do the math. Okay. That, that's all they would have to live off of for the rest of their life because at sixty-five you don't want to draw more than five percent of the portfolio. And then, since they have a, a large estate, whatever's left of that $750,000 when they die would be taxed at estate tax rates approaching 50%, the success tax. So the kids might only receive like 350000 of that. And Uncle Sam gets the other half. Now, in a charitable remainder trust, let's say you say you've identified a charity or two or several that you want money to go to after you pass away. You can put the money into the charitable remainder trust. So you, what you could do is set up a charitable remainder trust. You're the trustee of it, so you can determine you know, how to invest the proceeds. And, and it doesn't, nothing goes to the charity until you pass, until you die, until the second one is gone. So you could put the million dollars stock into that charitable remainder trust. You could get a big tax deduction for doing that. Usually at that age, it would be somewhere around $200,000 to $250,000 tax deduction. So this is great because you could put the million dollars into the trust. You could turn around and sell the, that low base of stock once it's in the trust and create an income-producing portfolio, zero current capital gains taxes, okay. nothing at all. You can diversify without paying any capital gains tax, and then you can create that lifetime income of 5%, but 5% on a million dollars is 50000 bucks a year, right? right? So you get a higher income, and you get a tax deduction. You have five years to use that tax deduction up. So then what you do is you, you look at it and say, okay, the charity's going to win when I die, right? My kids, though, don't get the million dollars. So you take some of that money and you, you funnel into an irrevocable life insurance trust so that it replaces the million dollars to your heirs totally tax-free. And really, the tax deduction and the lack of paying capital gains taxes pays for the insurance for the kids. So everybody wins. The, the kids get the money. The charity gets the money. You get the income. Uncle Sam gets zero. It's a great What happens, though, if you run out of money in the charitable remainder trust? Can you spend it down by accident? Well, if you do, if you invest poorly, great. yeah, you could, it could be gone. Or if the market does a massive correction, as long as you've done the prudent man rule, you invested in a balanced portfolio, nothing, nothing can happen to you. It's just poor market performance. And what happens is your income stocks and it stops and the charity ends up not getting anything. I haven't seen that happen. You invest in but a balanced portfolio. But you still get portfolio. the tax deduction. Your kids still get the life insurance. Correct. 
Okay. Yeah, it's a great planning tool, especially those that it complicates life a little bit. Think anyone ever abuses that? Um, abuses it? I, you know, I don't. I, I don't Jim Cramer always so. talks about his terrible remainder trust, but he's living kind of large. Well, again, that's what he. So you can see how it works because what he did is put low base of stock into that, and he can manage it however he wants. He can buy and sell whatever he wants inside of that. He takes a certain amount of income out um, now. And you know it's it's a pretty great tool. He's not abusing it. There's there's laws, and you have an attorney draft the charitable remainder trust. So it's it's such a great tool, and it, everybody wins except the government. It, it really works well. Which do you ever worry like when you say that out loud, some people might actually dislike that? Because I, I and they're typically the people who are on the government program. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. If you have a ton of wealth or you've got wealth, consider a charitable remainder trust. A trust, consider making sure you do some estate planning with that so that it passes efficiently. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. CEO of LinkedIn cashes in to the tune of $179 million. I don't know how I feel about that. Obviously, CFO, CEO Jeffrey Weiner has you know, uh, helped the company grow. $179 million. He received compensation valued. It's pretty egregious for most people in the world, right? Last year, Mark Zuckerberg pulled in $3.3 billion in exercise and stock options. Howard Schultz from Starbucks, $356 million. 44 years old and uh, $180 million, roughly. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KBOW and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. It's going to be an interesting night to watch L.A. Some people are predicting that there could be riots. Let's go to Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, let's talk stock markets. Let's not talk race riots. Um, I hear you. <laughs> market's doing pretty well. Again, you know, we're getting through earnings. We're not falling apart. We're not getting that correction. We're not getting uh, fear of Ukraine. It seems like we're, we seem to be climbing that wall of worry. What are your, what are your current thoughts? Uh, I would concur with what you said. Um, I do think, though, that there's somewhat there's this palpable feeling of, of tension, though, <laughs> underlying it all. Uh, we're, we're hanging in there very well, but there seems to be this sense that things could uh, break down in a hurry or conversely really break out in a hurry. And And I think that because you have those two extremes that are factoring into the conversation is why you're really not getting anywhere right now. There's, um, I think everyone's well aware of how far the market has come uh, and that you have not had a, a 
you know, technical correction of 10% or more since uh, 2011, and that it's certainly overdue for some type of price correction. But, you know, people have been saying that, well, since 2011, basically. So, um, so it's not, uh, you're just in the state of kind of a, just a constant wait and see type of environment. And so you're in what I think is really a, a trader's market. You have some pretty wide intraday ranges, uh, plenty of volatility intraday. Uh, but at the end of the day, the markets don't really get anywhere. And so it's almost afraid as it's as if people are really reluctant to stick their necks out one way or the other and they're waiting for the next person to, you know, to take that chance. Mr. O'Hare, it's been a long time since I felt the palpable fear of a correction or the, the palpable reaction of, you know, good God, that was a rough day on the market kind of feeling. It, yeah. it feels like it's been like five years to me. I know we had a little bit of one, but um, it's almost too good to be true. Do we, do we need kind of a, a correction every now and then, uh, like a small one to mm-hmm. kind of get us through, or do we need a big one? Because I, I like the big ones myself. Yeah, right. So, I mean, that's the element here that's a little concerning is that because, you know, you had the market uh, hold up so well, uh, despite all of the calls for, you know, the you know an imminent correction, um, there is this sense of complacency in the marketplace that, you know, there won't be any type of large-scale correction. And so, um, you know, the way that I, I look at it, you know, you hear people say, oh, Oh, you know the the correction would would be healthy for the market, and you know lower prices would uh, help uh, flush out some of the excesses, and and that's certainly true in in uh, what we've seen of late in those momentum stocks. Uh, many of those stocks are down twenty, thirty percent already. So they they're not only in a quote technical correction; they've they've made technically a bear market type of move. Um, broader in broader terms, though. Um, you know, I would contend that the S&P 500 is not, uh, you know, grossly overvalued. I think we've had this conversation before. I would say mm-hmm. that it's fairly valued. And so uh, if you get these, you know, price corrections, um, you know, it would fall back on the, the understanding that you don't have a, a grossly overvalued market. And at the same time, you have interest rates and inflation that remain fairly low. And you also have earnings uh, continuing to increase, maybe not at the strongest rate we'd all like to see, but they are still growing. Uh, and when you layer in those fundamental factors, it would suggest that any types of pullbacks, though, still create some openings there for investment opportunity. Now, recently we've seen some mega deals in pharmaceuticals, and it seems to me, and I, I'm not smart enough to be demonstrative with this, but it seems that the pharmaceuticals, the Mercs, the Pfizer's, the Lilies, they're kind of focusing on profit and doing what they do really well. And if they focus on profit, that could be another leg up on the market, especially combining the mega deals, but then add in more profits. Am I off base there? Well, you know, no, I mean, profits are are the mother's milk, you know, the market. I mean, it certainly is uh, what you'd like to, to see and, and hear, um, you know, but, you know, the one, you know, item to consider in all this, too, is that it's almost been um, – 
uh, a forced activity, if you will, with a lot of these large companies uh, losing, you know, patent exclusivity, and they're looking for new growth markets, and so they're finding ways to to purchase that growth. But to the extent that they cut costs and you know increase revenues, and all that goes to the bottom line, and it increases earnings, it does raise the potential for these companies that have often been very um, nice payers of dividends and uh, have returned capital to shareholders. You know, it does enhance their their appeal, uh, and so um, so that in the end is, as you allude to, is you know, is a good thing. So we just need to see if you know management can actually make these deals come to fruition, and then manage the companies properly in the aftermath, so that profits do indeed continue to increase. Now, in your morning column that you write each and every day, uh, page one, a trader's market was the comment today. One of the things you mentioned was the S&P Case-Shiller Home Index that was coming out this morning. Um, what are your thoughts on the home builders? It seems like we're starting to see a slowing in new home, existing home sales. As far as year over year, we're seeing a slowing, but some of the numbers themselves kind of mm-hmm. can be kind of choppy. Right. Well, you know, the the new home sales number was wasn't good at all. Um and the the main issue there was really the affordability factor. Um, you know, prices were up sharply uh year over year. Uh and then you're also hearing really in the NHAB index, which is a measure of home builder confidence essentially, that's deteriorated below the fifty level, which is that dividing line between, you know, essentially home builders feeling good about prospects and not feeling so great about prospects. And um and that affordability factor though is really key, you know, as we look ahead, um, because uh we also saw inventories rising in the new home sector back to levels that would be considered, you know, somewhat normal at a six months uh supply. So home builders, uh, you know, likely are probably going to have to curtail some of their building activity, uh, which would be a drag on GDP growth. Um, and you know, we have to have to see some of those that inventory get consumed or prices, you know, come down to help clear it out. So, you know, when we look at the fact that you know lumber futures have not really picked up, uh, they're down this year. It doesn't necessarily generate the strongest single signal in terms of what the outlook is for the for the housing sector at the moment uh but that's been a real disappointment so far because a lot of optimistic 2014 GDP forecasts were predicated on the housing sector really gaining some steam this year and we just haven't seen that pickup now you recently penned a piece Mr. O'Hare on the retailers and I think if I'm going to uh, put words in your mouth, you said there's some value there because they've fallen so far from their highs, some of the retailers. Do you want to give us a little more color on this article? Right. Sure. You know, and, of course, they probably make – I could make the distinction, you know, just stocks that come down in price don't necessarily make them cheap. Of course, you have right. to have earnings, and, and it's a little bit – different you know there's low prices in retail just that are discounts and then there's low prices in the stock market that you could say a stock is inexpensive based on a PE multiple uh but these you know there's nine stocks that were uh, returned in a stock screen I ran uh, where prices were down at least 30% from their 52 week high they had positive cash flow from operations over trailing 12 month period and net debt that was less than or equal to zero and out of those nine companies eight of them were still profitable on a trailing 12 month basis and are expected to be profitable over the next 12 months, and the, the main point of the piece, though, was that um, you know we we 
talk also often about how you want to buy low and, and sell high, but in, in the stock market sometimes you get these crazy periods where everyone just wants to buy higher, you know, and we saw that happen in those momentum names, and a lot of people are getting hurt because of that. So simply pointing out, though, that while there is still some price risk in these retailers, um, uh, given, you know, that the industry sentiment is not all that favorable right now, they have come down so sharply off those highs because a lot of the negative news has been accounted for within that price drop. And I think that long-term investors, the true patient-minded investors, have an opportunity to start building a position in some of these really hard-hit names, um, in, but not to go all in at this point because there's still some price risk. But if you have a multi-year time horizon and you're dealing with companies that are profitable, uh, they have positive cash flow, they have no debt, basically, um, those tend to be some good uh, opportunities when they come down 30 40 50% off their high if you have the wherewithal to, you know, to ride out some of the, uh, the near-term volatility. Thanks very much. That's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. He does a lot of work for briefing as far as big picture goes. One of the things that he contributes to is the big picture um, feature. So an analysis of major issues impacting the financial markets. Like you said, he ran some stock screens. And, you know, on one level he looked at some energy companies. On the other, he was looking at retailers. And when you run stock screens, it's just quant. It's just math. It's price to sales, price to earnings. You're looking for... You know, uh, some deep level of value, revenue growth, cash on the balance sheet. And when you run about, when you run a, a screen like that, you come up with a name like um, American Eagle Outfitters or Abercrombie and Fitch. And you're like, yeah, I'm, I can see some value there. They've you know fallen well from their 52-week high. And then you see a name like Barnes Noble, 30% from its 52-week high, and you're like, ooh, I don't know if that one's going to make it. So even when you run stock screens, you're going to have to have, you know personal insight and knowledge on what you're comfortable with and not. Second break here. Uh, Rob Black and your money coming up. We're going to be talking about ServiceNow, big event that's going on in San Francisco. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in, Rob Black and Your Money. One of the hot, sexy revenue stories on Wall Street's focused on the cloud computing, taking it away from our desktop and putting services up there somewhere so that we can't physically lose them. Joining me now to talk a little bit about a big event going on in the Bay Area starting today, Craig McDonough, Senior Director of Product Marketing at ServiceNow. Or ServiceNow. Um, how are you, Craig? Good morning, Rob. Good, thank you. I so badly wanted to say ServiceNow.com, but that's not right. Uh, it, it, was, it was the name a few years ago, but uh, we figured we could drop the .com. It's, uh, it, was, it was kind of taken for granted. So big event, Knowledge 14. What do we need to know about the Moscone Center event starting today? 
Uh, well, we uh, yeah, we're, we're starting today with the main conference. We are uh, we're expecting uh, over six thousand people to uh, to be here, which is uh, the biggest show that we've we've ever actually run, uh, and certainly the biggest show kind of dedicated to to the focus that we've got here at this show. Um, it's this is this is kind of the show for CIOs, IT professionals, system administrators, and, and developers. What can we really expect to come out of the show this year? Any big developments? Um, there's, there's going to be quite a few. Uh, obviously, people will hear about sort of product developments uh, from ServiceNow, but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of excitement about how cloud computing is automating much more than just the IT department. Uh, a lot of people have, a lot of our customers have taken I, have taken the processes that they've automated in IT and extended those so that they are automating processes in other parts of the business, like legal and HR and finance. Um, you'll hear, yeah. There's there's lots of lots of customers. In fact, over 90% of the of the sessions are led by customers talking about how they've uh, sort of you know used the the power of the cloud and the power of ServiceNow to automate processes within their business. What type of people you know should care about the cloud? Um, business, mom and pops. What are we looking at? Uh, you know, I think I think the answer would be everyone. Um, you know, everyone from from the, the you know the end consumers that are using you know Gmail as their or, or Hotmail as their primary mail account, um, you know, right through to the enterprise, the large enterprises, uh, and there's a number of them here uh, at this show. You know, it's it's a way that the the businesses, be they large or small, they can become a whole lot faster, a whole lot more efficient, and and be able to share the information that they have so much more easily, both within their organization and, you know, between themselves and their customers. I know you're in a time crunch. Um, how can people find out more about the event? Uh, best thing to do is to, if, if they're in San Francisco, drop into the Moscone Center. Uh, if not, uh, just uh, pop to the ServiceNow website, just at www.servicenow.com. Uh, and they'll find out more information there about the company, and there's a, a big link at the top of the page that would take them through to the knowledge event. Any last thing you want to throw at me, Craig, on the, the event? Uh, look, you know, I, I, like I said, this is, this is certainly the biggest event uh, that we've ever, we've ever conducted um, of this type. Uh, like I said, over 6,000 uh, attendees will be here. This is, this is a great opportunity, I think, for, for anyone involved in business to come and hear from other people you know, in their line of business. There are hundreds of customer presenters talking about you know, how they've been able to change their, the nature of their business, both IT and beyond. So you know, it's a great opportunity to hear from lots of different people um, all in one place uh, in, in a short couple of days. As an investor, what I like about events like this is just the wealth of knowledge on what's going to be happening in the next couple of years, and it helps you, you know, kind of figure out where to throw some investment dollars at. Thanks for joining me, Craig. Have a good event. It's Craig McDonough with ServiceNow. Uh, big event going on right here, right now, Bay Area, Santa Clara-based tech leader ServiceNow. It's a global event called Knowledge14. Their website more than explains it. If you get some time today to uh, jump on servicenow.com, it's servicenow.com. Uh, big conference going on. It's a $72 billion market, and it's growing rapidly. And whether or not we you know, appreciate it or know it, we all have some relationships with cloud-like services, whether it's your Yahoo Mail, your Gmail. Um, from a business perspective, from a personal perspective, I love the idea that all my documents can be saved. Um, you know, that one really great college essay that I wrote that I typed out, it's gone forever.
had I had the cloud connection at that point in time, it would still be there. And it's going to you know, change the way we document our own histories as well as document our business histories and uh, how we operate going forward. More information at servicenow.com, at servicenow.com. Um, and that event, for one more time, is uh, it's called Knowledge 14, Moscone Center in San Francisco. And every year there's like, you know, Oracle World and, you know, Apple's got a developer's conference. Uh, these conferences are where a lot of stories are broken on Wall Street. So check it out. Back to the markets. Energy sector is, you know, being underpinned by some un- above, above expectation earnings from companies like BP and Valero. The Fed Open Market Committee is beginning a two-day policy meeting. Another $10 billion expected to be taken off the tapering line. Today, strength in energy, financials, materials, and technology, weakness in consumer discretionary, telco, healthcare, consumer staples, utilities. So there's some sex appeal today on Wall Street as far as the sectors that are doing well and some lack of sex appeal, uh, boring kind of sectors not doing well. So risky day or risk on kind of trade. S&P 500 is up 6 in 1876. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 77 cents at 16,525. NASDAQ up 18 cents at 4,092. Earlier in the show, I spoke with Patrick O'Hare about mergers and acquisitions and how this is something that's going to be driving the market in the short term. At different times, we have different things that drive the market. Uh, I like the mergers and acquisitions enormously. So if Pfizer does pick up AstraZeneca, they're able to downsize the company a bit. Pfizer's always been really good at integrating other companies into their company as far as making the profits very obvious and very known. Let's take a break here. This is Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Free consultation. That's 408-947. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You know, some of the top headline stories today aren't that mm, exciting. SP 500's up 6. The Dow's up 81. The NASDAQ's up 14. Consumer confidence dips in April. We're close to May where you're going to start hearing people say, sell in May and go away. Will it work this year or not? With that out there, um, I found one of the more interesting stories of the day. Craig Ferguson has announced that he is leaving the Late Late Show. Uh, it was bound to happen. A lot of silliness out of Craig Ferguson. His contract ends in uh, December. He made his announcements to his tapings yesterday. Uh, he said that it was his choice to leave, not CBS. And uh, well, no one's going to call him a liar. It was interesting that he did not get Letterman's slot, and he had a big thing in his contract that he could get it and or get paid out a lot if he didn't get it. So CBS looked right past him and hired Stephen Colbert, Comedy Central's faux pundit. Um, so when that happened, how does that make you feel? Um, you see the job angle, right? You see how many work years you work in your career. Uh, you see the, you know, sometimes you think your career is going to go this way and it goes that way angle. You see the need for a good contract. 
Pfizer in the news today. I think this is the other kind of interesting story inside of a story. They were in the news yesterday. But people are starting to see, like, why they may be interested in picking up AstraZeneca. And they may have to sweeten their deal millions in order to buy. And the question is, like, what do you get in that? Do you get clinical access? Do you get new drugs? What's in the deal, right? One of the biggest deal is is that it would have it would be able to cut down its hefty U.S. tax bill. So for $100 billion to buy British rival AstraZeneca, it would allow Pfizer to move its official headquarters overseas, saving the company billions of dollars over the next decade. Now, Pfizer's been well known to buy companies and to do it efficiently. I find that very interesting. If I were to tell you, and we're seeing more people do this, if I were to tell you, give up your U.S. citizenship and take on citizenship of a foreign country, would you do it? At what price would you do it? Maybe that's a better question. Would you do it for a dollar? Would you do it for a million dollars? And Pfizer's been a U.S. citizen because corporations are technically humans. They're technically defined as people. Pfizer's been a person in the United States for 165 years. So this transaction would be referred to as an inversion. So that's going to be fascinating to watch. And how, again, I guess where I'm getting at with this is I work with a lovely, lovely person named Mark Dannon. He's one of the anchors at Cron. And he and I will fight, you know, lovingly about the problems in society. The haves and the have-nots and, you know, minimum wage versus no minimum wage. And should McDonald's pay a, a fair wage? McDonald's doesn't pay wages. McDonald's franchises restaurants. Franchisees pay the wages. Now, should McDonald's require that franchisees pay higher rates? That could be argued. But, again, it's not as easy as people think. I know a person who has five franchises, and he's not wealthy. He's not like, he doesn't have, you know, the literal walk-away kind of money. He's not poor. Other stories of note today, and there are a couple. Um, Mega deals, I think, is one of those things that we continue to look at is helping the market at this point in time. So we feel comfortable at these levels. Home price gains in U.S. cities cooled in the year. The Case-Shiller Index of Property Values increased 12.9% from February 2013, the smallest 12-month gain since August. Growth in property values eased as rising mortgage rates in severe winter restrained demand for dwellings. A lot of people are starting to say that the cash investor is gone. And now it's tied towards, you know, average people and that they really can't afford. The affordability's really slipped a lot in the last four years. So the days of very robust home gains are over. Elevated price gains are a headwind to first-time buyers. Housing market needs to recalibrate supply and demand. I think we all can agree on that. 
800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. This is a Fed meeting day, which probably doesn't mean that much to you. It means a little bit more to me. I want to hear what the Fed's seeing in job markets. But... Facebook is losing younger users, and surprisingly, Twitter is holding on to younger users. Facebook may be the biggest social network on the planet with 1 billion plus users. Teens are leaving bigger social networks with the privacy of messaging apps. Twitter is holding on to more of its sought-after younger demographic. The percentage of teens active on Facebook dropped by 9% during 2013 and by 7% on YouTube. But it only fell 3% on Twitter. Twitter is also the preferred social network by 27% of adolescents versus 23% for Facebook. Interesting, right? Twitter has a cool factor. Facebook has a soccer mom factor. Not quite as cool. I'm just throwing it out there. Don't get mad at me, soccer moms. I love you. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. We've seen a recent surge in 401k balances. That's nice. That's likely tied towards the surge in stock market at five-year highs. All-time highs, but five-year run. So 401k saw a nice gain. The average 401k is worth 88600 bucks. Five years ago, it was just 46200 So still nowhere near enough, but it's moving in the right direction. If you get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. One of the things that I try to talk about, especially at seminars, is that you need to save 20% of your salary. Keep in mind the state income and state sales tax takes another 20%. The federal government probably takes 20 to 25%. So before we even, you even have any money to spend on a house, on food, on a vacation, you're down to 35 40% of your paycheck. That has to sound mathematically humbling to people. And maybe it sounds undoable. Maybe that's why people are slow to uh, embrace Anyway, you can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Twitter, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. Facebook, Cron4, Rob Black. KDOW traffic. Good morning, I'm Larry Olson. Tra- Living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 800-516-1220. We're going to play a little Jeopardy right now. 
What animal? You know, we all fear getting eaten by a shark, right? What animal is the deadliest animal in the world? Give you a little Jeopardy music, a little doo-doo-doo, time to think. What animal is the deadliest animal in the world? Did you bet all everything? You had to bet everything. Those who don't bet everything, oh, anger me. Okay, the shark kills just ten people a year. Surprisingly, a wolf will kill ten people a year. On the whole planet. Lions and elephants, much bigger killers. So having to fear a shark is, is ridiculous. An elephant kills a hundred people a year. My favorite on this one is the crocodile. Uh, that would be a pretty good way, <laughs> be a pretty bad way to go, if you know what I'm saying. Um, tapeworm comes in on the list, as does a roundworm. A freshwater snail kills 10,000 people a year, whereas a shark kills 10. Number of people killed by animals a year. We're playing a little Jeopardy. Now, who would have known that a snail, Right? Um, a dog's on the list. You should be much more fearful of a dog. A dog kills 25,000 people a year. Snake kills 50,000 people. Now we're getting somewhere. Obviously, people kill people to the tune of 475,000 people a year. The number one killer of people killed by animals per year, it's the mosquito. Now, no one has a big fear of mosquitoes, but you should. Mosquitoes kill 725,000 people a year. And it's probably going to get worse. They're really, really, really good at spreading diseases. Um, dengue fever, Rift Valley fever, yellow fever. The Say this without saying it wrong, virus. The chikungunya virus, the West Nile virus, lymphatic filariasis, Japanese encephalitis, um... Malaria. So, now, what are we going to do about this? They say it's going to get a lot worse. So it's time to educate yourself on mosquitoes. And it's time to get a little fearful of mosquitoes. Um, To the point that we should have a mosquito week on Animal Planet to replace Shark Week. 725,000 people killed by mosquitoes a year. Sharks, just 10. I know we have Hitler Week on the History Channel, and we have Shark Week. But today I'm making the the case that we should start thinking about Skeeters. Skeeters! There's a Skeeter coming at me. I'm more fearful of mosquitoes than I am of Sharknadoes. I would like to live through a Sharknado. I know. I know it's probably not the wisest thing to say, especially with the tragedies that's going on with tornadoes recently, but I would like to live through a, a Sharknado. My parents used to live uh, in the South. You know, it's fascinating to me. Um, is that they used to have like uh, tornado centers, places where they had to go to like be safe. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls in the air. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. U.S. consumer confidence dips on employment doubts. 
that's an interesting combination inside phrasing, per se. U.S. consumer confidence dips unemployment doubts. I have some of those doubts about, not me, but about other people. And what I mean by that, um, sentiment regarding current conditions have slipped a little bit. I think a lot of us sit around and, and talk, and I was sitting around and chatting with an expert recently about jobs. And uh, I just, I really feel that if you go to college, you should try to become an electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, something to do with math or science. Um, even though the United States is gaining in manufacturing right now, largely tied towards the... Yes. So I'm concerned about jobs pretty notably in the U.S., uh, like I said, the manufacturing jobs are very, very problematic. Um, and I, I guess when you see consumer confidence, you know, near a six-year high, but it's dipping, it's a pretty good report. Despite continued price gains, most other housing statistics are weak. Uh, I think people are starting to think about that as far as confidence goes. And confidence is one of those pesky little numbers that we're like, what exactly does that mean? Uh, consumer confidence isn't, you know, people, it's not a retail index, but it's a, a gauged on future retail actions. If you feel discouraged, sad, like, I'm, I'm a little freaked out about jobs. I really want people to get a good college education. We're going to get a college education because I think jobs are going to be tougher and tougher to get. And the corporations are going to do things like what Pfizer's doing right now and, and going overseas and saying, you know what, U.S. tax rate, see ya. Uh, yesterday we heard Toyota's leaving California to go to Dallas. No one wants to go to Dallas. When you go to Dallas, they give you a six-shooter and a cowboy hat and boots. No one wants to live there. But Toyota's making the decision to move their U.S. factories there or their U.S. Uh, operations there because of lower state taxes. So it's an argument that me and Mark Dannon from Channel 4 Cron have gotten into numerous times during the commercial breaks. He wants the corporations to bear higher taxes. I'm like, it's not going to work that way, dude. Corporations aren't stupid. IBM's raising its quarterly dividend by 16%. Yay! Um, Sprint came in pretty interesting. The number three U.S. mobile provider. They said fewer subscribers are leaving than expected. And strong tablet additions are working out in their favor as the company undergoes a massive network overhaul in the highly competitive market. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Uh, I think that's the worst thing that you can do when it comes to money. Uh, You want to be as aggressive as you can with your questions. Um, I think you really want to start accumulating. It's the number one thing I see people do completely wrong is they continue to wait. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Money, investing, and more. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. Facebook, Cron4, Rob Black.
You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Manchester United, right? They're one of the most valuable sports brands in the world. It's iconic. Um, they just made a big deal with Chevy. So even though they didn't get into the next league, um, the Champions League, it's the world's richest annual tournament. It makes it to the quarterfinals this year. Manchester United will rake in about $55 million. But a big Chevy deal seems to help blunt that pain, so to speak. Um, again, telling you the power of a brand. So it's something you should think about when investing is when you're buying shares of Apple or buying shares of Bank of America or buying shares of Apple or um, Safeway, you're buying into a brand. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. Take a look at the market numbers. What do we have today? What do we have today? We have an up market. The S&P 500 is up 8, sitting at 1878. The Dow up 85, since 16,534. And the Nasdaq's up 22, sitting at 4,096. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton with NewFocusFinancial.com. NewFocusFinancial.com is the easiest way to find them. Estate plan versus retirement plan. A lot of people retire. They want the money to last till the day they die. A lot of people retire. They want the money to last till the day they die and then leave some for their estate, for their spouse, their children. You get the basic idea. Are these ideas in conflict with one another, or do they work hand-in-hand, hand, Mr. Burton? Well, you really have to work hand-in-hand, hand, and that's part of, you know, part of your retirement plan should be looking at your estate plan as well, because once you are that close to retirement, you can do a, do a true projection in terms of how long your money's going to last and what you're going to be worth. Um, you know, you use conservative growth rates on your assets, and you also use, you know, just kind of conservative, let's say your real estate continues to grow with inflation, so you're retiring at 65, what are you going to be worth at age 85, at age 90, at age 95? Is there going to be a legacy left over for your kids? And if so, you know, making your retirement plan and your income plan meet your plan for a legacy. So, you know, you have to ask the question, do you want or need to have a legacy? At some people, their retirement plan, it's very important to them to leave either a specific amount to their kids or to charity, or maybe they have a special needs child. So you really have to make sure beneficiary designations work the right way, and they also match with what your trust is is trying to achieve. That sounds like some legwork. That sounds like some details where I think you know my situation. Let's not get too personal. But I should have enough money for a legacy, or I should have enough money to live till the day I die. Yep. Those are two issues in my head that I feel very comfortable saying out loud. Um, and then leaving it to kids, leaving it to spouses, leaving it to colleges, I'm going to think about that in five, ten years from now Yeah. Uh, as I take the foot off the gas. And let's say you have a specific amount you want to leave to kids, right? So what are the best assets to do that with? Well, a lot of people hold off, for example, on pulling money out of their IRAs. But if you leave your IRA to your kids and they're still working, they're eventually going to have to pay the taxes and they're probably going to be at a higher bracket than you. So if one of your plans is to leave a legacy, the best assets to leave them are either a stock or a, you know, a taxable account where if you pass, they get a step-up in basis and they could sell it tax-free, or a Roth IRA. If they inherit a Roth IRA, they can roll it into an inherited Roth IRA account and continue tax-free growth over their, over their lifetime. Or let's say that you really want to benefit your church, and you say, I want to set aside $100,000 out of my portfolio, and I want that to go to the church when I pass away. Well, carve out an IRA. 
say, I'm going to take an IRA, a certain amount that I want to leave to my church or charity, put it in a separate account and designate that church or charity. Because if they inherit, if they receive that IRA when you pass, they're nonprofit. They won't pay any taxes. Okay. Now, what you have to be careful with is you can really screw up your, your beneficiaries. If you have, say, two kids in a non-natural entity like a church or a charity on the beneficiary forms, it can actually screw everything up. So whenever you want to do that, carve it out and make sure that that's noted in your trust and, and make sure that you're, you know, you're, your attorney, your advisor, everybody's working together to make sure your investment plan matches your estate plan and your beneficiaries matches what you want to have happen in your trust. Now, what happens if, like, the church changes, like they go under, and that's part of your estate plan, or the guy closes shop and moves to Guatemala and is no longer a church? Um, how dramatic can that change your estate plan? Well, there's, there's certain – you could even write into your plan. There's certain organizations that rate charities out there, okay. and, and you can say in your trust documents or – Plan B, Plan C. Right. So if they're not a viable entity, then it goes to you know, this entity. Uh, and it could be up to your trustee to decide. So you could have everything just go into your trust, and your trustee could have specific instructions in the trust to say, I want charities to benefit this amount, and, and I want um, them to be funded out of retirement assets. So that's a, a way that you could do it. What's really important too, Rob, is special needs kids. Yep. Um, if there's any chance that they're going to um, receive some sort of assistance from the government, Leaving the money outright can really screw that up. So you really have to work with an attorney that knows the special needs rules and leaving it for them in a t- specific type of trust so that they can you know, be protected and uh, have some help management and also not screw up the benefits that you've worked so hard to get them um, as they've aged. So Leaving a legacy is it's an important thought. Like, Of course you want to leave your kids money, but also on the flip side of it, you don't want to leave them so much money that they don't work. Yeah. You don't want to leave them so much money that they go off and get married to a, uh, you know, a gold digger. Mm-hmm. You don't want to leave them so much money that the gold digger can take half of it. So well, you don't want to protect them from divorce and lawsuits. So you could actually leave it to them in in certain types of trusts, like dynasty trusts. Um, and you know, so if you're leaving large amounts to a young child, a lot of times people in their trust they say, well, you get a third at 25, a third at 30, and a third at 35. I think those are old ways of doing business. You can leave it to them and trust indefinitely so that they're always protected from divorce, from lawsuits, and, and it's easy to manage. The billionaire owner of uh, In-N-Out Burger, she's 30, white trash, drives a drag racing cars on her third marriage, has twins, got half of the In-N-Out Burger franchise empire at age 30, gets the other half at 35. So speaking to you, to say the least. CFP Chad Burton, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's new. FocusFinancial.com. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it enormously. Dickage calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and much, 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 much more. Um, the SEC is talking with Congress at this point in time. And the message that the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, is saying the market's not rigged. There's a book recently by Andy Michael Lewis talking about high-frequency trading, where he basically implied the market's rigged. And the SEC is saying the U.S. markets are the strongest and most reliable in the world. And I'll tell you this, the SEC is massively understaffed compared with the trillion-dollar business 
that is the markets. Flash trading, um, fast trading, high speed frequency trading, it has some problems. In the end, it does create some efficiencies and it does create some uh, action, is the right way of saying it. Um, to have a good trading market, you need to have buyers and sellers. But it does have some people concerned as well. Pfizer, they may have to pay more cash to top the $105 billion offer that they've put out there for AstraZeneca. Maybe it'll be $110 billion. But again, they'll start saving about a billion dollars a year in taxes just from going to a different tax country. Um, interesting. I brought that up in the first segment of how much cash would it take you to give up your U.S. citizenship. Well, we got the number from Pfizer, about a billion dollars a year. Um, 800-516-1220, it's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we talk about the SP500, it's up 8, the Dow's up 85, the NASDAQ up 22. Taking a look at some of the stories, I saw that IBM is raising their dividend. IBM's in a bit of a problem. Like They're one of those companies where you like the dividend. But they didn't really move into the right markets at the right or at a fast enough speed. You could say the same thing's true of Dell, of Hewlett Packard, um, which is interesting. How fast do you expect a big company to be able to move? Apple rises to a 52-week high before retreating. Hit 595 today. Apple stock has been on a tear in the last week. I didn't even notice. They announced that seven-for-one stock split. They've increased their dividend, their stock buyback plans. So nice to see $592, $595 on Apple. Now it's pulled back to about 590 but it's nice to see that they're in that 52-week high territory. Of course, it doesn't mean anything until you sell it, or depends on when you bought it, right? One company <clears throat> took a hit yesterday, a company called GoGo. They provide in-flight internet service, which never seems to work, at least for me. Um, AT&T said they're going to build an in-flight internet service. They plan to create a 4G high-speed LTE connectivity service for airplanes and passengers that could be available as soon as late 2015. Good for AT&T to figure out, hey, here's something we could charge exorbitant amounts of money on, and people will pay it. Satisfy the market. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Find me online, robblack.com. Find me at Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black, or Facebook fan page, Cron for Rob Black. Number 30. Stocks move higher for a second day. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial. So before we went to break, we talked a little bit about Apple hitting a 52-week high. 
They're going to enter the bond market to compete or to complete a seven-part note offering. It's doing aggressive shareholder returns. Their return on equity, their return on investments, obviously very high, so it's good to borrow. It could be $17 billion plus dollars. The company which sold $17 billion in debt last year said that it would issue debt to help fund its shareholder return program. The company increased its buyback to $90 billion from $60 billion, raised their cash dividend by 8%. Uh, it issues debt right now as a way of avoiding the taxes associated with bringing cash back stateside. The offerings can include fixed-rate notes that are going to mature in 2017, 2019, 2021, 2024, 2044. How comfortable do you feel about their future that you would lend them money till 2044? Interesting question, right? Do you feel more comfortable with Apple being around or the U.S. government being around? That's part of what lending debt is all about. Um, Safety. How comfortable are you taking on risk? And what does risk look like to you? Merck shares are higher today. They had a real nice uh, quarter. They said earnings would be between 215 and 247. Uh, they're losing some exclusivity on certain drugs. And that was noted in their quarter with some sales down about 5%. A company called Amicus Therapeuticals, ticker symbol FOLD, F-O-L-D. This is where I don't know what I'm talking about comes full circle and obvious. It's a biotech firm. They reported positive results for a late-stage trial of its Fabry disease treatment. I don't even know what Fabry disease is. The company said the results of a Phase three study were statistically significant. So that stock up 52% today. How's that for a home run? Uh, now, it's all relative, though, because a year ago it was $3.50. Today it jumps from, you know, a buck seventy-five. It was as high as two fifty. It's now at two twenty-nine. A share, two dollars and fifty cents. And again, a year ago it was at three and a half. So I don't know if I'm making my point there. I think I am. It's all relative. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls in the air. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Um, Teen Facebook rebellion. Twitter seems to be immune to it. This is interesting because one of the things Facebook recently said is that they're now going to start uncoupling Facebook and trying to get a messaging service as well as a photo service that's separate from Facebook. Twitter has a messaging service, and it's kind of cool because it's a lot more private than Facebook is. So Twitter is the preferred social network by adolescents, 27% versus 23% on Facebook. Would you have thought that? Probably not. Earlier this month, and I find what people do just incredible. That's more shocking than I could have imagined. Earlier this month, a 14-year-old Dutch girl texted American Airlines a fake Al-Qaeda threat. When the airline tweeted back that they take all threats seriously, she wrote, Oh my, OMFG, I'm so stupid, I'm scared. 
but she also expressed delight when her account now deleted got thousands of new followers. Girl was arrested in her home in Rotterdam. It's a teaching moment for parents, right? Um, what's interesting about the mathematics behind stories like this is Twitter can use an algorithm, and they have used an algorithm. And there's, we might be able to stop teens from committing suicide. Right now, there is a recent algorithm used and found 37,717 troubling tweets related to suicide and bullying. So that kind of math could help teens, and yet that technology can get a teen arrested. Um, young people, and for the record, when we go with this, is they're critically important to social networks. So they check out new products, and then older kids and older parents ultimately check it out as well. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money invested in more. Home price gains in U.S. cities cooled in the year. Growth in value of properties eased as rising mortgage rates and severe winter weather restrained demand for dwellings in the first few months of the year. Be careful on mortgage lenders who are like, now is the greatest time to buy real estate. It's the greatest time for you to buy real estate from them or using them to do your transaction. Rates are still pretty good. You're going to be in the home many years. Um, Gunman at FedEx this morning near Atlanta shot six people and took his own lives. Took his own life. Uh, What's wrong with people? We so need some sort of gun laws. We we or we need to figure out who has them and why. Situation stabilized. Earlier this month a FedEx trailer was involved in a collision on the highway in California that killed, killed ten people. So FedEx in the news, and not for the reasons they want to be in the news. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black, you find me at line. RobBlack.com, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.